Let me ask you a question as we get into it today. You ever been able to identify somebody purely from the way they're walking? You know what I'm talking about? Like from a distance, you can kind of see, we call this someone's gait, right? G-A-I-T. But the way that they're walking, you, you know, oh, that's my brother, or that's my sister, or that's dad, you know, or mom. You, do you know what I'm talking about, right? The way somebody's walking. Have you ever seen someone's son or daughter, right? Just walk the same way as their mom or dad. And it's hard to even like replicate in this moment because I can only walk the way that I walk. I've got to, you know, be like really weird, you know, to like imitate somebody else's walk. But do you know what I'm talking about? Where, where even a child walks the same way as mom or dad and you can clearly see it. And yet no one taught them to do it. They just do it. You know what I'm talking about? You guys with me this morning? All right, just making sure. What I find interesting is that forensic, forensic, I guess, psychology, I guess you would call it, they don't actually need fingerprints and they do not actually need DNA to make positive identification anymore of someone's identity. The biometrics from computers are so good Measuring your steps, your heel, your toe, your, 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 the measure of your toe inward or your toe outward, the length of your stride, right? All of these things combined to make an incredibly unique identity scan of who you are based purely on how you walk. There's a whole science to it. So every single time you go up to somebody's house and you ring the doorbell and they've got the, uh, the ring, what's it called? Ring camera, right? And, and, and your, your entire like walking process up to the camera is being you know, recorded by camera. All of that can be used in a court of law. When you go up to an ATM and it's recording you and it literally... The metrics for it, they're measuring neck, the way you turn your neck, your shoulders, literally your waist turning. All of these things are measurable. Your walk reveals who you are. It is interesting, isn't it? Your walk reveals who you are. How about who you walk with? You ever walked with somebody and maybe you're dating, maybe you're married and somebody walks a lot faster than the other person does? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Of the two, if you know me, what would you say? Do you, th- you think I'm my fast walker or my, my chill walker? Chill. I, I don't know. I feel like something offensive just came out over here. <laughs> Slow, right? You know, I am a chill, low-key walker. My wife, Amy, my lovely, wonderful wife, what, what would you say? What's her walking stride? Show. Oh, she's on a mission, right? She's got things to do, right? Places to go. And so when we and I, she and I are walking together, you know, you learn in a relationship. Sometimes I got to pick things up and sometimes she's got to just slow it on down, right? You know, that's how it works. You can tell a lot by a relationship when somebody is walking, right? And the head's on the shoulder while they walk. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about that relationship? Anything? 
Oh, it's a new relationship, isn't it? Because anybody who's been measured for any period of time knows you don't walk like this anymore. It doesn't mean that you don't love each other. It doesn't mean that there's not romance or passion. It just means we're not fooling around with this. Come on, we, let's just walk like normal people. You know, it's like the movies that have people all cuddled up in bed and like the girl's hair or the guy's hair is like in somebody's face. Nobody lays like this. They don't do that. That isn't reality. People don't really walk like this either, at least not for long, right? How you walk reveals a great deal about you. The Bible actually has much to say about how we walk. In fact, Adam, it says in, the, in, in some of the opening verses in Genesis, Adam walked with God, or excuse me, God walked with Adam in the cool of the garden. They walked together. And I don't know how that looked. I'd love to have been, you know, in the garden to have seen what some of those conversations looked like. Or were they so in sync that they didn't even have to talk? And you see those relationships. Sometimes I love being at a restaurant and I see, you know, a little old couple and they're just sitting there. Happy as can be. And they may not even be talking, but they're just content with being there present with each other. Love that. Enoch in the Bible, it says that he walked with God and was no more. My father's uh, gravestone in the cemetery, you know, he died suddenly. And that's one of the things that's etched into his, his gravestone is that Rick King walked with God and he was no more. Walked with God. The prophet Isaiah uses one of the only references that we see in all of the Old Testament to speak of something very specific as it pertains to walking with God. He says in, in Isaiah chapter two, verse five, he says, come descendants of Jacob. In other words, people of God, Israel, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come, let's walk. But we're not just gonna walk together. We're gonna walk with you, God, in the light of your presence. How's your walk? How is your walk with God? Now, I, I'm gonna just, let's call a spade a spade for a minute. Maybe you're new to faith or you're new to church. Well, one of the church kind of things that, that people say is how's your walk with the Lord, right? And I'm not saying that people say that here and there's nothing wrong with it. But in case you're like, I don't really get this language that's being used. When we speak of walking with the Lord, we're talking about relationship with him. And so that, that language has become common use, especially in the West, to talk about how your relationship with God is doing. How's your walk going? And so I'm using this phrase today. How's your walk with the Lord? You guys walking together. Are you in step? Are you out in front? Are you way behind? Are you having one of these moments <laughs> with the Lord? You know? How's your walk? Hold that thought. Hang on to it. Isaiah chapter 9. The same prophet Isaiah, he says, come, let's walk in the light of the Lord. And then he has this to say as he's prophesying about the birth of Jesus Christ. He says, um, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom 
for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. See, there's a walk that's happening here. It's a walking in darkness. And Isaiah is letting them know a light is coming. It's going to be bright. In fact, your time, it's been a discouraging one. It's been one where you have felt just beat down, downtrodden, all the things. Zebulun and Naphtali, it wasn't the place to be. Right, you invaded by, by, by other armies, ransacked, brought into exile, mistreated even by their own fellow Jews, looked down upon. It's a discouraging place. And Isaiah let them know, great news. The Messiah isn't just coming, he's coming here. In this land where you've been walking in spiritual darkness is about to get a great light. So let's walk now in the light. You guys with me, tracking with me today. Ephesians 5, much of the New Testament, right? We see this reference to light all over the place and even reference to walking in it. Jesus himself is described as the light of the world. To walk in the light is to walk in relationship with him and in his presence. How's your walk with God today? How's your walk with Jesus today? Paul writes in Ephesians, the one who was blinded by the light of the Lord on his way to Damascus. He says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. We're called to walk with the Lord, but we're also called very specifically to walk in the light of the Lord. Now, I'm 43, and you know what I love to do? I love a good video game, and I am not ashamed to say it. I love to game out at my house. I, I, I love a good game. It's how I can relax a little bit, okay? And one of the greatest games, in my opinion, of all time is a game called Zelda. Now, I grew up in the 80s. I was an 80s kid, right? So I loved, like, what, 1985 or 86, the first Zelda game came out. And they've been making Zelda games for, like, 20-some-odd years. I don't miss any of them because I love them. They're awesome. Right, and you're an adventurer, and you've got a sword and a shield, and you're saving a princess. And, I mean, it's just all the things. It's awesome. Right? Well, the latest iteration of Zelda that came out, I think, last year, it is the most expansive game. And you've got, similar to like Stranger Things, right? You've got the normal world, and you've got the underground area, right? The depths. And I kid you not, 
the depths are black and white. In fact, uh, they're really dark. There's a better way to say it. And when, when Jesus talks, or excuse me, when Isaiah prophesies and he says, there's going to be no more gloom for you, Naphtali and Zebulun. I always think, no lie, of the video game of Zelda. Because when you go down into the depths, the thing that steals your hearts, right? The thing that steals your life and your energy is this thing called gloom. And even my kids who used to love watching me play Zelda, when I would go down into the depths where it's dark and there was no light and you're wandering around in darkness and you're having to light your arrow on fire and, you know, shoot something to like make it burn so it has just a little bit of light. You're squinting at the TV because you can't quite tell even what you're looking at. They literally left. They didn't even want to watch it anymore. Why? Because it literally felt so gloomy watching dad play this portion of the game. And the longer you're down in the depths and the longer you're in the gloom, right, your heart containers become less and less. You become weaker, right? You become weak. Oh, no, right? The adventure is about to come to an end. Your hero may die. But the way you come back to life is you get out of the gloom. You get up to the surface, and what do you do? You walk in the light. Okay, Zelda. Zelda's preaching the gospel for us today, right? And your little character and your hero, you know, you, you bask in the sunlight, and you literally watch, boop, boop, like your hearts just start to refill. It's actually a great picture of the gospel. <sighs> now that I just nerded out with you today. I do love a little Zelda. I love some other games too. Here's my question for us today. What does it really mean to walk in the light? Honestly. You're hearing from Amy as she opened service today. You've heard from Gerald as he spoke of, of trusting God with, with literally your, your offering and with tithing. And what does it actually mean to walk in the light of the Lord, to have relationship with him? Here's some questions for you. Maybe a, a better way to, to actually ask yourself this question is, if, if walking in the light of the Lord if we can define that as growing in holiness as you live your life, that's my, that's my definition for you today. To walk in the light is to grow in holiness as you live your life. To walk in the light and your hearts literally grow, right? You become stronger. You become healthier. You become more like Jesus. Are you more like Jesus in December of 2023 than you were in December of 2023? In other words, are you growing? Would you say that you're a better friend this December than you were last December? That's a tough question. But think about it. Are you a better friend to the people around you? In other words, are you a better encourager? Are you better at loving them and caring for them, being mindful of them? Are you a better friend? Have you grown this year? Not just in head knowledge of Bible facts, 
but the kind of knowledge that moves from your head to your heart and begins to really change you and transform you. Are you different? Are you a better neighbor? Think about it for a second. Do you care more about the spiritual condition and well-being of the people that God has put around you now than you did last year? And if your answer is, yeah, I think so, then here's what it tangibly begins to show up looking like. It looks like somebody who's a little more willing to spend time praying for their neighbors. It looks like somebody who's willing to actually invest in the relationship with people people who live around you or go to the gym with you or, or that you work with? Do you care about their spiritual condition at all? Are you growing? You guys with me today? Are you walking in the light of Lord, not sitting, not being stationary, walking? Are you growing in holiness as you live your life? I love all these lists that come out this time of year. Andy's top 50 books that he read this year. Andy's favorite, you know, this or, or this person's that. And there's just lists of things, right? All these things to do. Wipe all that clean for a minute. Are you growing to become more like Jesus? Not just knowledge, not just checklists. You're becoming more like him. Hold that thought. One of our challenges, church, with this conversation of growth, one of our challenges in, in, in Western Christianity is our understanding of what it means to walk in darkness. Which is what is prophesied about Zebulun and Naphtali. I got great, great news for you, but before the great news, I got bad news. If you didn't know, you're walking in darkness around here, folks. It's dark. Well, for a lot of us, it's dark, but we don't even know it, right? It's the, 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 it's the dimmer, right, in the, in the living room. And, and slowly but surely, the lights have been dimmed, and you don't even recognize that it's a little bit too dark in here. But when we speak of sin, it's a big topic, right? But we understand sin as that which separates us from God. But as Westerners, we look at this very black and white. We understand it as you and I violating God's commands. And if you have violated God's commands here, here, or here, you are now in sin. We call this defiance. And when you have a child or a baby even, yes, even babies, right? You see this produced in their little hearts. They don't have to be taught it, right? Defiance comes naturally because of the nature that's inside of us and we violate God's commands. That's why you can look at a baby and say, hey, don't touch that. And they'll look at you and go, and they'll smile, <laughs> right? And they're testing to see, right? Or they grunt, right? Or Right? And they do that to mom. They're trying to exert their defiance to you. That's what kids do. And we understand sin in our relationship with God in the same way. And be, let's be very clear. 
the Bible is very clear on, on sin and don't do this and don't transgress here and this is sin and this is sin and this is out of bounds and, and all of that is true and all of that is helpful and all of that is good and we need that. But what if today, what if part of the problem with us having an inability to grow into the fullness that Jesus has for us? What if part of the challenge in us having a dynamic, vivacious, life-filled, light-scorched relationship with Jesus wasn't this idea of just this binary black and white perception of sin, but that we never really evolved past this infant understanding of violating the Father's commands? What if the only relationship my children had with me was simply, I obey Dad, and that is it? If the relationship never matured into something beyond that, we wouldn't have much relationship. We would at least have a foundation of obedience, which you have to have. But church, what if I'm telling you today that our understanding of sin needs to actually mature? guys with me let me let me explain this when we first started the church you know we started the church we had no money we ultimately I had a coffee with Josh Anderson if you know Josh he was the first coffee I ever had with somebody in the church I didn't know what I was doing I'm like hey you want to start a church yeah sure right and basically, you know, it started as a Bible study to the lacrosse, you know, uh, the lacrosse, the ladies lacrosse team, excuse me, at KSU. And so lots of college students. What? The team. Sorry, I don't know what I said, but lots of college students, right? A couple families, Shervingtons, right? And, and, and that was it. And we're meeting in my home, right? We have no money. We have hardly any people. We don't know, I got a baptismal, right? And we're baptizing people in my backyard while the, my neighbors think these people have lost their minds, right? The first person to get baptized was baptized while it was snowing outside. True story. I'm depositing what little offering we had <laughs> at the bank. And I am pulling out, this is the bank on Wade Green, just right down the street. I'm pulling out of the bank and I'm turning left and I don't know if I was pulling out too slow. I don't know if I just missed the person that was coming. I don't know. Full transparency. I don't know. I may have been the greatest offender in this moment. But this guy decided he was going to let me have it. And he pulled up behind me and wailed on that horn. And when I say he wailed, he would not relent. And he just kept, you know, he was being one of those people, okay? I'd like to tell you that I was very godly and pastoral in this moment, but I wasn't. I rolled my window down. I leaned my head out, and I yelled right back at him, and I was like, what is your problem? Right? Like, are we doing this in the middle of the street? Because if you want to go, let's go. Right? And so I'm yelling out the window, well, what's he doing? He's just honking even more. Mr. Car honk horn guy, right, is just letting me have it. Well, the light turns green, so I turn. Well, what's he do? He pulls up next to me, rolls his window down. 
He's matching my speed. Yelling at me out the window. I'm yelling right back at him. Right. I know. Terrible. Don't do this. Okay. People die doing this. Okay. I know. I know. Okay. This was 10 years ago. All right. So a little grace. The guy finally leaves me alone after just barreling me down with his horn and just, just, you know, stealing my manhood in this moment. Just bam, you know, just bam, 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 bam. Well, I am mad. In, in Southern terms, I was as mad as a wet hen, okay? I pulled over just to kind of collect, need to collect myself. And the truth is, Did I violate God's command in this moment? Was I defiant of what God had created for me in terms of what it means for Andy to love Jesus and obey him? Was I in defiance of him in this moment? The actual answer is yes, I was. I had lost my cool and was blowing a gasket just like the fool next to me. Okay? But... Understand this, something deeper was actually being revealed in this moment. And this is what is actually helpful and instructive in these conversations because the largest issue in this moment, while yes, I had sinned against the Lord by violating his commands and yes, I was in defiance of him. But you know what? I'm, I'm a rather mature Christian at this point. So what is actually taking place in my heart? Because there is a pervasive issue and a pervasive problem that is preventing us many times from growing into maturity. You see, I was stressed and I was very anxious. And I'm not going to lie, I was also fearful. I'm wondering who's going to be with me next week in this church and who's not going to be with me next. I'm wondering if we got money to pay bills and, and, and can we afford to move out of this home and get this school and, and, and can I even start drawing any money yet? Do I have money to put bread on the table, right? Do we have enough volunteers or is Amy going to be serving for the 9,000th time with the children? All these questions and all these thoughts and guess what? My issue was trust. Am I really going to live in faith with this heavenly father of mine? Or am I going to distrust him here, 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 and here? That's why Paul, one of the most devastating passages in all of the Bible is Romans chapter 14. Verse 23, where Paul is writing to the Roman church and he is speaking to a a rather mature church in this moment. And he says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Say what? Where's my list? Where's my list of do's? And my list of don'ts, because I can measure that really 
easily and I can know whether I have healthy relationship with God. I can check the do and don't and I'm not doing this and I've done this and, and, and therefore because I, I, I've got all of these things down, my relationship with God is good. And unfortunately for the church, for most of us, many of us, faith isn't actually faith. It's simply this version of moralism where we just learn to be good and nice and kind people. And that's the extent of living by faith, of walking in the light of the Lord. But God has so much more for us in that we would learn to trust him. And now the devastation of this passage is not that you just cussed or rolled the window down and shouted at the guy next to you or had a lustful thought or this or that. It's that any place in your heart that's not proceeding in relationship with God full of faith is actually sin. What? This is, how do I proceed? You're telling me that every place where I'm I'm unable or unwilling to trust them is creating sin. It's separating me from God, yes. And I am as guilty as anyone. And what Paul reminds us is that our sin is far more devastating than we will ever realize. And that the beauty of Jesus is far more glorious than many times we ever recognize. See, Jesus, in his grace, draws us into relationship and gives us reason to trust him. Reason to put our faith in him. Yes, as our savior, but literally as you're living your life. That you can trust him here, you can trust him there, you can trust him with this and trust him with that. You can trust him and to be unwilling to trust him, that actually is sin in our life. And it creates separation. And as we look at the maturity of walking in the light of the Lord, growing in holiness, as we live our lives, many times, church, we've got to move beyond simply a moral checklist. and We've got to begin evaluating where in our lives are we unwilling to trust the Lord? In other words, where are you anxious? Where are you worried? Where are you afraid? Where are you holding on so tightly? I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that the things that you're holding on tightly to don't have reason for you to want to hold on tight. But what I'm saying is that without us recognizing it many times, sin is far more pervasive than we get it, give, give Satan credit for. In fact, I'll say it like this. One of Satan's most successful lies is that sin can be limited to a manageable list of do's and don'ts. 
I got bad news. The problem is far worse than that. But I have great news. Jesus is far greater than anything we could possibly imagine or dream up or do in our own strength. So here's what we do today. What do we do? So glad that you asked. Sin can be defined as misplaced affection. It can be defined as making good things supreme things. Sin can be defined as places where you're anxious and worried and unwilling to trust. Where you're simply holding on tight. Sin can be defined now because of what Paul tells us in a whole range of things. Nothing's really off limits. So how's your relationship with Jesus today? Moving beyond that list of do's and don'ts. Where do you need him this Christmas? John writes that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want you to hear this. If you walk in the light, guess what you get to do? You get to be in fellowship with one another. To walk in the light, and part of the answer in this moment is to literally let the church be the church and to pray for one another and to be in fellowship with each other and to confess where we aren't trusting. It's not enough to just go home, do this and pray, but you need other people. If you're going to walk in the light as he is in the light, then we need fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice. It purifies us from all sin. And that's why when Jesus showed back up and he went to Peter and he's drawing Peter into deeper relationship with him. He's doing it in a normative conversation. He's drawing him to a place of confession. James, the brother of Jesus, writes as I close, is anybody among you in trouble? A lot of us are. Let them pray. Is anybody happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anybody among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. So we're in relationship and fellowship with each other. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. See, Jesus is looking not just for obedient people today. He desires for us to be a faithful people today. And that's why there is nothing
quite like the body of Christ coming together because this is God's people full of faith for one another. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. We've got a few announcements that are going to be coming. And then there are going to be some people available to pray with you today. What do you need prayer for? You need to be made well? You sick? You in trouble? Frustrated? And angst? Worried? Whatever it might be, what is in your heart creating distance between you and Jesus? How's your walk today? Father, I thank you that you are, that you sent your son Jesus and he is the light of the world. He is our light, a light to us. And his light, Lord, there's nothing like it. Lord, when we want to walk in it, Lord, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we, we walk our own way. Lord, sometimes we, we don't trust you. Lord, confession time. We struggle at times to trust you. But help us, Lord, in this moment. Help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Change us. Help us to trust you. To be made new. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.